Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris. Good to have all of you. And uh, last night I was listening to uh, Charlie belt out the Zeppelin tune. I, I had this thought, but where else, not, not in the country, in the world, can you come to church and listen to Zeppelin done probably better than Zeppelin, right? I mean, it just blew my mind. And then uh, at the 845 service, I walked out. I'm like, it felt so cool at the five o'clock Saturday night service, but Zeppelin at 8.45 in the morning just feels different. So it's going to get better as we go throughout this day. It's going to feel different. Well, it's good to have all of you here today. And uh, uh, if you're a guest with us, a special warm welcome. My name is Chris. And you can always find uh, not only this weekend's message, our, our, our past messages online at renaissancechurch.org and click on messages. And also, uh, if you don't know yet, uh, you can go to renaissancechurch.org forward slash notes from a smart uh, phone or a tablet right now or sometime throughout this week, and you can find all the message notes, key points, questions, links, verses that we use, and it's just a resource for you, not only right now in this moment, but also as you get into your busy week and you're like, what was that verse or what was that thought? Uh, you might be able to find it there. Also, you were given uh, uh, one of these on your chair. Hold on to this. We're going to use it in a little bit. And... Uh, that's important. Well, last week, uh, we established uh, several important things that really tie into this week. And so uh, here's a couple of important parts that we, uh, points that we established. One is hurt leads to healing or bitterness. And we just have to always keep in mind that our hurt is going to move one of two directions. It has to. You can't push pause. It just doesn't stay in place. That either we work on the healing process to a hurt, and it will uh, lead to peace in not just that relationship, but remember our relationships are all interconnected. It will lead to peace in all of our relationships, or that hurt leads to bitterness, which will lead to chaos, not just in that relationship, but all of our relationships. Because why? All of our relationships are interconnected. Second thing we looked at last week was this whole word, word uh, evil. As we look at it in the Bible, the 400 time, uh, 407 times is written in, in 387 verses, that this word evil, when the Bible starts to describe it, many times it's associated to our words and thoughts. And that's really going to apply today as we get into our words, our communication, what we say, and what we hear. And the third thing was this challenge to overcome. The first week of Hello, My Name Is, uh, we looked at this, this verse, and Paul, who, who wrote it, said, uh, if it's all possible to you, create peace in your relationships. It's something that uh, is our responsibility to do. If it is all possible, create peace. And then last week he says, you're either going to be uh, overcome with evil or you're going to overcome uh, evil with good. One of the two things. But when it comes to relationships, it's so easy to default to a place that we all default to. We look externally at everyone else. We look at what other people have said to us. We look at what uh, other people have done to us. We look at other people's dysfunction. But so difficult for us to pause and look at ourselves, but we have to because the only person you can change, the only person I can change is me, right? And so this whole series is about how can we grow? Because if we can grow, then our relationships will move towards that healing place, which will move to peace. And God desires for us to have peace within our relationships. 
Last week, if you were here, I asked everyone uh, to uh, take a moment and write on a name tag a name of a person or several names, someone who has hurt you deeply. And without knowing uh, the specific name, without knowing the story attached to that name, the hurt attached to that name, here's one thing I know that's in common for every single one of us. When it comes to a name of someone who has hurt us, words have been said and words have been received. There's been intent behind those words and there's a perception of what those words have meant to us. And right in the middle of that hurt, there's there's words. So today we're going to look at, again, not how other people have said words to us, but again, for us to realize the power of our words and what the Bible says, what God says about the power of words. I found this article online. It's found in the New York Times. And the title just captured me right away. This was the title. Praise is fleeting, but brick bats we recall. Right? A title like that, you have to read that article. And so I started reading that article and uh, it was a fascinating article because what, what, what this author did was collected a bunch of research and just kind of recapped a bunch of research. And you can find the link in the notes section. So if you want to read it, the link is provided for you. But what it did for me was it started me on a journey into this whole field of what they call negativity bias. Maybe you've read on it, maybe you never have. But it's a fa- fascinating field of research that a lot of different experts from different fields have come together to really learn how, how human beings relate to uh, negative experiences. Researchers have studied how our brain handles both positive and negative experiences. They found out that our left hemisphere of our brain primarily uh, is responsible for how we process, uh, process positive experiences. And it's our right hemisphere of our brain that's primarily responsible for negative experiences. But then what happens is it's easy to say, well, one hemisphere does one, the other hemisphere does something else. But what researchers have found out is fascinating as the brain all works together. So they've discovered that then our amygdala uses or leverages two-thirds of its neurons to search out negative experiences, actions, words, whatever that might be, that two-thirds of its neurons actively searches out, finds that negative experience, experience, and shoves it into long-term memory. It's It's what it does. But researchers have also found out that the brain handles positive experiences in a vastly different way. They've discovered that it takes 12 seconds, 12 seconds, for a positive experience to go into long-term memory. Okay. Amygdala, two-thirds of its neurons actively searching for negative experiences. The brain waits, 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 12 seconds, and then puts it into long-term memory. And as I read this, I'm like, yeah, okay, these researchers, I'm sure they're really smart. You know, I'm not questioning this. But how does this apply in daily life? Like, do we really interact with this daily? And I quickly realized we do. Take, for instance, uh, this example. Let's say uh, you've worked for months on a presentation. 
I mean, really, the most important presentation of your life. You've leveraged your entire skill set. You've le leveraged your entire team of people around you. You've leveraged creativity. I mean, you have put your all into this presentation. You walk into a boardroom and you give the presentation. And right when uh, you're done with the presentation, you have this brief moment where, you know, it kind of pops in your mind like, oh, wow, I'm really that good, right? Come on. You can be proud of it, right? You're like, oh, wow, that was even better than I expected. <sighs> I'm that good. So you have that moment. Well, but you, you gave your best. So in that moment, you're thinking about how good you are. And then someone walks up to you, and this is the only thing they say to you. They say, your presentation was extremely effective. They turn around and walk away. What happens in that moment? Feels good. Right? Oh, that's a compliment. I'm glad. Like right, right afterwards, that's the response. And how long do we think about that compliment? Two seconds? Three seconds? Four seconds, and then what happens? You look at your watch, you pull out your smartphone, you open your calendar, you realize you're late for another appointment, you have another presentation, you have a phone call, you have a meeting, right? And we just go on in your day. Does it ever make it to 12 seconds? My assumption is it never does. Why? Got things to do, people to see, right? We're moving. It feels good for that three or four seconds, but does it ever get to that 12-second line where it moves into long-term memory? Now, what if... Same scenario, same effort, same presentation. You get done with the same presentation, you still, oh man, I'm really that good. Same thing. Person walks up to you and they add two letters, just two letters to the same statement. And they walk up to you and they say, your presentation was extremely ineffective. Now what do we do? Starts you still start putting your things into your bag and start thinking, what do, you, what do they mean by ineffective? Was it my content ineffective? Was it how I communicated the content ineffective? Was it how I connected the different pieces together ineffective? Was it the creative elements that was ineffective? Oh, I get it. They're just jealous of me. That must be it, right? They're jealous. They just want to, they think they can do better and they can't do better because I knocked it out of the park, right? We start processing this whole comment, two letters, and what happens in our brain? Our amygdala, that is leveraging two-thirds of its neurons, starts grabbing onto all of these negative thoughts and negative experiences, right? Why? Because it, it, it's what it does. But not only is the amygdala involved in negative experiences, guess what else gets involved? Our limbic system. Limbic system, what's it responsible for? Emotions and memories. So the limbic system gets involved because guess what? Now emotions are involved to that negative experience and, and you start pulling from all your past experiences and maybe it goes all the way back to childhood to a mom or dad that you could never live up to their expectations. So guess what memory gets inserted into this comment? And maybe a boss 20 years ago that you could never please and now the limbic system is redlined. Why? Because it's pulling from all of these negative experiences, all attached to you not being effective. Why? It wasn't that your presentation wasn't effective. It's you're not effective. At this point, your entire mind is racing. Now your neocortex gets involved. Why? Because the neocortex is part of your higher cognitive processing. And it's screaming, no, 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 no. You are effective. And no, it doesn't 
have anything to do with your dad or your mom or your boss 20 years ago. Let's just calm down. But by this time, it's too late. Why? Because the limbic system has gotten our nervous system in play. And now our heart's racing. Our breathing is rapid. Our jaw is clenched. Our forehead is tight. Our muscles are tense. And we're just like, ah. Two letters. Two letters. Think about that. The power of our words. Cliff Noss, he's a professor at Stanford. He's been uh, going around training CEOs and managers and bosses and leaders. If you lead people, and he's trying to change the work culture based off of this knowledge. If you lead people, manage people, uh, you've had to have a difficult conversation with employee, right? They're not doing something right. There's an issue with their performance. And, and uh, the natural response, because there's been a lot of books written about this, and the natural way to handle it is you start with the positive because you want to set a positive uh, uh, atmosphere for the conversation. So it's a positive, And then you let them know, hey, you're doing great in this area, this area, this area. Man, I value you, but I need you to work on this area. Because what we have to understand is that that moment, that positive, never gets into long-term memory. It just doesn't get there. And when you end with a negative, guess what happens? And so what's destroying work environments? So his challenge is to say, turn that around. Just start with the negative. Just start there. Start with a correction, right? Constructive feedback. And then end your conversation with a very specific very sp- specific encouragement. Not, not the, oh, and by the way, you're doing great. What does that mean anyway? It's kind of like when we pass people, right? Hey, how are you doing? As you walk past that person and they yell, great, right? Not that. Very specific encouragement, specifically of what they're doing, how they're excelling. And maybe, just maybe, take longer than 12 seconds. Because when we do that, they'll remember the negative experience, right? Because the amygdala is making sure that you remember that. But now you give that person's brain enough time to also remember the positive, and together it's going to help that person. Researchers have also found out that an infant as young as three months handles negative experiences the same way as adults. Same way. So the, the conclusion is this, how we have learned to handle negative experiences isn't something that we've learned over time. It's instinctual. Which leads to a whole other set of questions. So if we're born that way, we're created that way, is that a flaw? Well, we all know, like, it's important to learn from negative experiences, right? That's an important part of our learning and growing. For instance, the first time I ever went mountain bike riding, I did an endo. I flew over my handlebars. It's really important that I learn from that experience, right? I mean, it hurt. Well, it hurt in several fronts. It hurt my body, but it also hurt my pride, right? (laughs) Because, I I mean, I, I just didn't kind of topple over. I went flying over, right? And you're clipped in, so the bike comes with you. It's a whole thing. And there's people behind me that witness the whole experience. But every time I go mountain bike riding now, guess what happens? My limbic system kicks in and starts pulling that memory. Say, Chris, remember, 
Pay attention. Hey, Chris, remember, get your weight back on the back tire. That's the most critical thing. Hey, Chris, remember, you got to look way ahead and, and choose your line carefully. It's an important part of how we were created. But what about all the anxiety that this creates for us? You know, there's moments where we lay in bed and can't go to sleep. Why? Because what someone has said to us that has hurt deeply and our mind's racing and anxiety is overwhelming. Why? Because our nervous system is now involved because our limbic system is redlined. Like, did God mess up? Is it a flaw in his creation? We have to remember that it's human beings human beings, not the rest of the animals and fish and birds, human beings, we were created in God's image. He designed us perfectly. But what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve chose, when they chose to say, God, our way is better than your way. God, we know what your plan, we know what your will, we know what your desires are. We're going to choose to do our own thing, turn our backs on you, God, and walk away from you. When they made that choice, it fractured, it broke creation. And then we start thinking through the power of our words and our thoughts tied to this word evil. As we make our way today, I want you to keep in perspective every person that you interact with. Now, every person that you and I interact with, there's different relational connections and different relational depths. But it's important to, important to realize because we never know who we're interacting with and how our words are going to impact them. So if you think of, uh, about a target, uh, maybe at the very, very... Uh, uh, edge of the target, target. I wrote the word barista because inevitably I go early in the morning, right when they open, I uh, order a drink. And for some reason, the 15 minutes that the barista has been awake, they've already had a bad day. It, it shocks me, but I'm like, wow, something happened on your drive to work, right? But how I interact with that barista is important. But also, if, if that barista is kind of short with me, if they kind of cut me off, if they're not real uh, friendly, it's not going to ruin my day right? It's just not. But they're part of the relational connection. Another uh, uh, set of people is our acquaintances, right? People we interact with, you maybe play golf with once a month, go to a dinner party with, right? People we interact with, we wouldn't really call them friends, but we know them. They might turn into friends. Another set of people is work. And this is complicated because you might have a coworker or a boss or a partner and you would slide that person right into the middle of the target. Those people that are closest to you, that you have the deepest relational connection to, but also their words impact the greatest. That's the middle of the target. And so you might have people right in the middle. You might also have work associates that are more acquaintances. You know, your company might have a lot of interns and you know they're interns, you don't have a relationship with them, right? Then we have friends, and again, friends can be all over the spectrum. You might have a friend that's closer than a family member. And so maybe a friend should be right in the middle of that target. You know, maybe you have a friend growing from acquaintance to friend, right? You know where they go. And then right in the middle of the target is family. And 
whether you have a relationship with a family member or not. Maybe you wrote down that family member's name last week on your name tag. No matter your, your relationship with that family member, guess what? They're family. They're family. You choose friends. We're stuck with family, right? They're just there. Whether you want them there or not, they're there. This is the framework. So let's jump in. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul states this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't you love these moments in the Bible where the Bible sets the bar so high it's not reachable? Right? You're like, great, any? How practical is any? Right? We've all broken that rule this morning. Right? <laughs> like, come on. Right? We did. But the Bible does that. And we're going to see how important this bar is. But I think God just intuitively, he just knows us. God knows if he would write, uh, attempt to not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, or try not to, or if he put 80% of the time, don't, right? He just knows us. He knows that we will just go, well, if it's at 80%, 60% is good enough, right? We would just lower it. We just lower it. Take, for instance, uh, yellow lights. What do yellow lights mean? Come on. They don't mean caution, right? I know. I know you. It means step on the gas and go as fast as you can, right? That's what yellow lights mean. And in Jersey, you know what I've discovered? Red lights mean one more car through the intersection. (laughs) And I'm so conflicted because now I've discovered that red lights mean one more car through the intersection. But yet, when my light turns green and I'm waiting for that one more car to go through, then the person behind me honks. I don't know where to go, right? And God just knows. Like, if he goes 80%, we'd lower it to 60. If he says attempt to, we'd say, well, I kind of tried. And he sets a bar at any because of how critical it is about our words. And then he uses this word unwholesome. When I read that word unwholesome, my mind went to that great 1950s TV show, Leave It to Beaver, right? Oh, shucks. I can't say shucks. Is that a bad word? Well, it might mean. What does unwholesome mean? Matthew chapter 7. There's this verse that talks about decaying trees that produce rotten fruit. And the word decaying and the word rotten is the same Greek word as unwholesome. In Matthew chapter 12... The same Greek word that here in Ephesians 4 is translated unwholesome. Same word is used to describe rotten fish. Now, what if we would insert those words? Do not let any rotten words or decaying words come out of your mouth. Words that when you speak them to someone... Their amygdala grabs onto them and the limbic system gets involved and now it starts decaying their thought process because they hurt and they tear, tear down. So what do we say that are rotten? What do we say that decay? I mean, simply I could say, well, when we lie to someone. But we understand the big lies. But what about the positional lies? You, you make a statement positioned at a certain angle, knowing that the person hearing it, receiving it, will interpret it differently, and that's your intention. Well, what about gossip? 
Again, the simple filter for gossip is, am I part of the solution? If not, it's a sin. And I hear people say, well, 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 what if someone asks me advice? Again, if they ask you advice, you don't need to know the advice about the person's name. Just say, don't tell me their name. Right? Names don't solve most of the time. Backhanded compliments, you know, that person, or when we make a statement and then you go, ah, oh, I'm, I'm just joking, I'm just joking, I'm just kind of. My wife and I, we have a list, small list. We have a list. And on that list are things that I'm not allowed now to say to her or she's not allowed to say to me. And that list has been populated from intense arguments where all of a sudden one of us will zing the other. And we discovered this years ago that there's things that we say in the heat of the argument and those statements are so damaging to that person. And so we started this, again, it's a small list. And I know right now all of you are wondering what's on that list. <laughs> You'll have to come next week. We're talking about marriage next week. <laughs> but we know that those statements hurt each other. Criticism. And we'll talk in a moment more about constructive feedback, which is so different than destructive criticism because destructive criticism says, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to point out all your faults with the goal of shoving you down and elevating myself. That's destructive criticism. And God is so passionate about this issue, especially this word, any, then Matthew, Jesus said this, do not, oh, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for what? Not most, not some, not a percentage, every empty word they have spoken. I mean, this is how big of an issue our words are where everyone is gonna to have to sit down in front of a holy God and guess what? Give an account for every empty word. And that's why the bar is at any, not some, not try, not give an attempt, not 80%. Because God knows how damaging our words are. He just knows. Well, Paul goes on. He says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's this whole idea of building up and then benefit, and we'll tackle them separately. The whole idea of building up, the easy place to go to is encouragement, right? Like, that feels good, the warm and fuzzy conversations. And my challenge is for all of us is when you're encouraging, be specific. The general encouragement, that's not, you're doing great. What does that mean? What exactly do you mean? And the more specifics that we can give people, it does two things. One, it, it, it tells them, oh, you, you, really, you really mean what you're saying. The second thing it does is if we can give encouragement longer than 12 seconds, guess what happens? The brain shoves that into long-term memory, and it lasts. But can we help build people up in a negative experience connotation? Right? 
Well, I mentioned about destructive criticism. Well, this is where we can give constructive feedback. Because constructive feedback says this. There's an area within you that I see that I want to help you get better. And in that moment, when you're pointing that out to someone, right, that's a negative experience, right? That, that kind of hurts. Even I know we like to say, well, I love feedback, but still when something's, when a flaw and issues point out, we're like, all of us, we kind of kind of cringe, right? It's a negative experience. But the massive difference between destructive criticism and constructive feedback is this. Then you come beside the person and you say, I'm willing and I'm committed to walking with you to help you through this. Remember, destructive criticism is you sitting back, pointing out their flaws, saying, good luck. Constructive feedback says, hey, we're going to have a hard conversation. But not only are we going to have a hard conversation, I am willing to walk with you. I'm willing to encourage you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes with you to help you move through this process. And it's powerful. And yes, it creates a negative experience because there's an ouch, but then it creates this positive experience where they realize, oh, you really care for me and you want to walk with me. Think about that in the context of marriage. It's so easy to point out flaws in each other. That's destructive criticism. It's the difference of sitting down as husband and wife saying, hey, I see something and I love you and can, can we just work this out together? That's different. Or parents, it's so easy to point out kids' flaws. And it's why the Bible says parents do not exasperate your kids. What if mom and dads, what if we walked beside our kids intentionally all the time when we felt, felt like it and when we don't? And even after we've said something a thousand times and they're still not listening, we're committed to walk with them to help them mature both emotionally and spiritually and physically and mentally. And we're walking with them, not just pointing out flaws, not pointing out issues, but coming beside them. Constructive. Another area of building up that still creates a negative experience is this whole world of accountability. And, and, and it's gotten a bad rap, especially in our culture, where it's like, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Have you ever heard that from someone or maybe said that to someone? It's like, who are you? You're not perfect. Why are you pointing out my flaws? The Bible talks about, in the connotation of, or in the context of, one Christ follower to another. That's important. And judgment is, one Christ follower comes to another Christ follower and points out their sin and then walks away. That's judging. Feels a lot like destructive criticism. You see the pattern? Accountability says this. One Christ follower walks up to another Christ follower and sees a sin in their life. And says, there's a sin. Negative experience, right? Who likes, who likes for our sins to be pointed out, right? That's not like on my top five things to do today list. But then that person says, I'm going to walk with you and help you and help set guardrails and pray with you and for you. And I am committed to you to help you in this process. That's accountability. And I'm going to ask you the hard questions. But it's together. 
See, doesn't that feel so different than you messed up and you sinned and I can't believe you did and shoving people down to elevate yourself about walking beside. Well, then Paul says to benefit others, to benefit others. The quick application is, is of course, the person we're talking with, right? right? We build up, even in difficult conversations, even if you create a negative experience, even though they know that you're walking with them, like that's direct application is a person we're talking with, right? But I think there's another application to this whole idea of benefiting others. How many times do other people that we know don't know hear our words? And have we ever stopped to think the power of our words to the people that we're not even sure are listening to our words? I mean, parents... Mom and dad, we're having an argument inside the house. Our kids have ears and our walls talk. I'm going to read a text message to all of you. And uh, I want to be very careful setting this, this, this text message up. And first of all, I want you to know that I implicitly sat down with my wife and uh, asked her permission to share this. And I know maybe you're thinking right now, Chris, I would hope you would always ask your wife to share something personal. And I, uh, 80% of the time I do. I'm getting better. <laughs> Next week we're talking about marriage. I'm getting better. This one I specifically sat down. We had a lengthy conversation about it. And here's my caution. Some of you know my wife. Uh, some of you don't. My wife doesn't have a judgmental spirit in her body. It's not her. She has other issues, just like I have other issues, just like you have issues. She, she doesn't have a judgmental spirit to her. It's not her. And so my caution is this. Whether you know or don't know her, this text message wasn't from a place of judgment. It was from a place of what these words that she heard sitting on a bench waiting to pick up our daughter from soccer practice what these words did to her. This is what she wrote me. Sitting at Key's practice and listening to moms bash on their spouses. It's so sad to me. I'm not trying to toot my own horn because there are times you frustrate me as well. We didn't edit this, by the way. (laughs) Just like I do you. But I don't air it out to the world in a place like this. There's no filter or seeking of amends, just griping makes my heart hurt for their marriages. And later that night, we sat down and talked. And that experience for her, sitting, overhearing this conversation, and griping about their spouses, that's the understatement of the year about what these ladies were saying about their husbands. And it just crushed her spirit, knowing that their marriages and what those wives thought about their husbands and how that impacts their kids. We never know how our words, not just to the person we're talking to, but to every person around us listening, what our words do to people. And that's why the power of our words are so important. Well, Paul goes on. 
And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And there's a whole lot in this one verse. But just know that the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, is at work right now in this world. If you're a Christ follower, the, the Bible says that uh, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us. And that's why uh, we have the ability to overcome evil with good. Not because of our talents, our competencies. It's because the Holy Spirit is living within us, giving us the strength to overcome evil with good. Now, if you're sitting there going, well, great, Chris. I'm not a Christ follower, so I don't get the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's just in a different way. I want you to know, if you're not a Christ follower, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to God. He's pulling you to God. Why? Because... God desperately wants a relationship with you. And so the Holy Spirit is actively at work drawing you into a relationship with God. And you might be thinking at this point, well, great, Chris, I didn't sign up for that. How can I unsubscribe? You can't. You can't. The love of God won't allow that. But whether the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you or drawing you, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, is at work. And you think about this word grieve. Be easy for the Bible to say, and it angers God. But it doesn't. Why does it grieve God? Because God knows the power of the words and what happens to us mentally when words are spoken to us that hurt us. And God knows when we leverage our words for evil, what it does to that other person. It grieves him. The pain and anxiety that our words create in other people and the pain it causes us. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and it was in this whole context of food. And it might sound like such a trivial conversation, but it was a big thing because there was all these rules and traditions around what uh, Jews could and could not eat. And so the religious rulers were banging on Jesus because some people ate food that they didn't think was right food and the blood and the type of animal. It was complicated. So the religious rulers were coming at Jesus, and this is what Jesus said. Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. He goes on. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of their heart come, what? Here's this evil word, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The power of our words, and we think about this, this any bar, Well, there's one more bar that's going to be set. Get rid of all. Not some, not a majority uh, percentage of. Get rid of all. Bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Paul starts internally with bitterness, and it comes external. Why? Because everything that's going on within our heart and within our minds, right, what we're processing will eventually come out. It does. And then he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God, what? Forgave you. 
to move hurt relationships to healing, to peace. It starts with forgiveness. And remember forgiveness. It's what you extend to someone, not because they deserve it, not because they ask for it, not because they're nice to you, not because they have worked to receive your forgiveness. You extend forgiveness to people out of the response of what God has done for you. Because God extended forgiveness to all of us, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we don't continue to fail him, because he loves us and his grace has covered us. And in response of God's forgiveness to us, it gives us the ability and the capacity to extend forgiveness to people that have hurt us deeply. No strings attached. So how do we do this? This is going to sound like a church answer. So can you give me that? I at least admitting that sounds like a church answer. How do we conquer like these words in our, our brain and the thoughts in our brain and when our limbic system goes in overdrive and our neocortex gets involved, but that's too late? Like what do we do when our mind starts racing? Anxiety has filled our bodies. What do we do? When Paul talks about being kind and compassionate. It starts in our mind starts in our heart because what comes out is a reflection of I read on someone's Facebook yesterday and this is really the answer it's going to be so deep and theological it's going to blow your mind I read on someone's Facebook like how I started that and they they quoted from last weekend uh, this Romans 12 verse uh, either you're going to be overcome with evil or you're going to overcome evil with good they quoted that verse and then they said dot 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 and then they put this and repeat. That's how. Psalm 19 says, hide God's word upon our hearts so that we may not sin against him. I found myself waking up at 4 a.m. Wednesday morning with my limbic system in overdrive and anxiety wrecking my body of these thoughts. And you know what I started quoting? A verse I preached on last week. Philippians 4.8. And I tell you, I didn't get every word in every order right of Philippians 4.8. I probably added some of my own words. <laughs> I got about 80% there. But as I started to fill my space with God's word, which is truth, guess what happened? You need to hide God's word on your heart in those times where your mind goes in overdrive and know that just because it's in your mind doesn't mean it's pure. Maybe it's just evil. And then you pray. That name you wrote down last week, you pray for them. I challenge you. You pray for them by name. I know, it's the church answer. Read your Bible and pray. I'm serious. That's the answer. And when you start praying for that person by name, guess what happens? God starts working on your heart and all those evil thoughts about that person, it will start to change. I promise you, try it for 30 days. If it doesn't change, money back guarantee, I don't know. It will, it will change. On your, on your chair, you got about seven seconds to do this. How's that? Last week you got 60. The week before 90, we're getting this down. By the sixth week, it's going to be like 0.01 seconds. Think about the person on your target. Who's, in, who's at the very middle of your target? 
I want you to write that person's name, one name, right in the middle of the target. Very center. Now, husbands, let me help you out right now. If you're sitting next to your wife, you better write her name. I'm just, husbands, I'm, I mean, I want you to have a good week, especially going into next weekend when we're talking about marriage. Who's at the center? Write that person's name down. There's three questions. Here's your homework for the week. Three questions. These questions you'll, you can find on our notes page. You're going to find on Facebook. You can rewatch the message again, or you can write them down real fast, but I wouldn't. They're on the notes page. How's that? Three questions. I want you to ask that person this week. It's homework, and you must do it. Not like I can make you do it. What do I say that tears you down? And here's the guardrail for these questions. You can't ask the question and then interrupt that person and try to, to, to mold their answer to fit what you want them to say, right? If you're like me, you need to write maybe on a piece of paper, shut up, listen, right? Whatever you need to do, listen. Second question, what do I say that creates tension within our relationship? Those are two separate questions. And the third question, what do you want me to never say again to you? Have that conversation with that person and sit and listen. And watch what happens within that relationship as you take those answers to those questions and start changing how you talk with that person. And maybe the hurt goes to healing. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together. I thank you. And uh, your words are so true. And you set the bar high for a reason. And Lord, I pray for every conversation that's going to be had this week. For every name on every name tag. And Lord, I pray that uh, healing will happen within our relationships. And we will really listen to that person. We love you and praise you. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.